I guess this week is Gary Talley of the Box Tops. Gary was an original member and then went on to tour and record with some of the greatest recording artists of all time. I'm talking about people like Billy Preston, Willie Nelson, Dr. John, Tim McGraw, and Tammy Wynette. Now, Gary tells the story of the Box Tops. The Box Tops got their start as Ronnie and the DeVilles, right? Well, yeah, but when Ronnie left, they stopped calling it Ronnie and the DeVilles, and it was just the DeVilles. When I joined the band, Ronnie had left, and they had gotten Alex Chilton, so it was, uh, it was just called the DeVilles then. Didn't Ron Jordan come back at some point? Well, okay. So I joined in 67, and Alex had just joined. And then Alex and I were the last original members to quit, and we quit in February of 1970. Then Roy Mack, our manager, put Ronnie Jordan back out again because he was back from the Army. It was three years later, and Ronnie Jordan went out. Of course, he didn't sound anything like Alex at all. I mean, he had a totally different kind of voice. But our, our manager, Roy, he, he put about everybody in Memphis out as the box stop after <laughs> we quit. You know, he was just trying to keep the money coming in for himself. You mean Roy Mack? Yeah. Wasn't he Ron Jordan's uncle? He may have been. I'm, I've heard that. I, I guess. I'm not sure, but I think so. That's what I've always heard. It blew me away because he had worked at WMPS before Roy put him out as the Box Tops' new lead singer. Yeah. I thought that was kind of strange. And as you say... His voice was nothing like Alex's. Yeah, yeah, totally so, different. How old were you when you had a number one hit? I was 19. How'd that feel? Um, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was uh, it was unreal. It, like, it, I felt like it, it couldn't really be happening. I used to sing into the hairbrush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do what the box tops did or the gentries. That was a great period for Memphis music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. How long was the original group together? The original group started in 67, the spring of 67. The letter was a big hit in the fall, you know, September and October. Then at the end of the year or the beginning of 68, in the winter there, Danny, the drummer, and John Evans quit. They both quit. And John went into the Army, and, and Danny went back to college. Okay, then we got Rick Allen and Thomas Boggs, and they played all through 68 and the first half of 69. And then in the, the last half of 69, Bill quit, and Thomas quit, and Rick Allen quit. So then it was just me and Alex. And then Harold Cloud played bass, and Swain Schaefer played keyboards. And we had a drummer from California named Bobby Gadotti. And he was the last guy to join in, in the end of 69. And that was the band from the end of 69 till the beginning of 70. And that's when Alex and I quit. That's, I guess that's when Roy Mack got Ronnie Jordan back. And I don't know who they got on guitar. I didn't know any of the guitar players that played after I left. Speaking of guitar players, I saw your Leslie West post on Facebook. Can you tell that story? Yeah. 
it was, I think it was 68, and I remember it was uh, warm weather, so it was spring or summer. We were playing in uh, Hammond, Indiana, right right outside of Chicago. And um, we, um, I remember the town smelled really funny, and somebody told me it was a sulfur smell, <laughs> that Hammond, Indiana, and Gary, Indiana both smelled like sulfur. And I believe it, because that was a stinky place. Anyway, so, <laughs> you know, we were playing in this a big club, somewhere and we left the hotel and we were trying to find a club um it was you know the middle of the day right after lunch you know there were no gps's and we had a we had a map and we were trying to find this address and we you know we, we knew we were somewhere near the club and we were in a station wagon which we it was a lease station wagon so we uh rolled down the window and we heard guitar playing and we knew it it had to be Leslie West. <laughs> it was really good, really loud. We were about a mile, well, I don't know, we were a half a mile to a mile away from the club, <laughs> and we just followed the sound of the guitar, and that's how we found the club. Yeah, we just followed the sound of Leslie West playing guitar. And when we got, when, when we got to the club, I remember it was upstairs, and we walked up there, and he was playing... Uh, his guitar through like I had no, I didn't play through big amps. He was playing through a big couple of big Marshall amps, really super loud, and uh, he was about ten times as loud as I'd ever played. Anyway, so uh, we we walked up there and said hi. You know, he was doing a sound check and he stopped. We told him that that we. Uh, Found the club by listening. But we heard his guitar like a mile away, <laughs> and he laughed. <laughs> you know, he 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 liked that. He laughed and he he uh, held out his guitar to me and said, "Here, try this." And so I walked up on stage and and I grabbed his guitar and it just went. You know, when I just grabbed the neck of his guitar, and I hadn't even played a note, and it was like the loudest sound that I had ever made, just grabbing the neck of his guitar. You know, he didn't turn the volume down. He left the volume up on 10, and everything was... Anyway, so uh, that was just a a fun memory. You know, he was great, and, uh, and then not too long after that, I had to get a big... Marshall amp too, you know, you just like, oh, everybody's got to have one of those. Yeah, and uh, and I think he played Sun amps some um, after that. But anyway, you know, he was a great player, and uh, I really admired his his playing. And um, it was just fun to have, you know, had a chance to meet him like that. How did uh, Roy Mack become your manager, or was he already the manager when you joined? Oh, he'd been already been the manager for a long time. Because of his connection, his radio connection, right? Yeah, it was uh, it was really common for like top forty DJs to manage bands. That was a really common thing. Yeah, it sure was. And he managed us in the Gentries, and uh, you know the Gentries had a hit with "Keep On Dancing" in '66, and then we had a hit in '67. So you know he was doing great. He was making a lot of money. It's amazing to me that no one brought up the possibility of payola to question if Roy Mack played your song more than the other DJs. 
You know, I mean, it was obvious that the song was a hit whether he was playing it or not, so. Exactly right. Same thing with Rick Dees when he was at WMPS. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that since the official breakup, there have been six lineups, and you were the only one in all six of those lineups. Oh, well, yeah, I guess that's right. So congratulations. That makes you Mr. Boxcar. <laughs> <laughs> well wow well, that must that must have been great but man you you have done a lot of work outside of the box tops uh after the box top yeah you've uh, d you've done a lot of session work a lot of touring and you've been in the box tops every time they get back together yeah i started doing studio work uh you know in memphis well, actually, even I started doing some when I was still in the box tops, you know, for other people. There was a studio called Sounds of Memphis, and the original one was over on North Claybrook. And Stan Kessler, who just passed away, was the studio manager. And B.B. Cunningham was the chief engineer. Man, I'd, I'd love B.B. Cunningham. Yeah, yeah, he was a great guy. He was a, you know, great musician and great engineer, too. We cut records with um, Billy Lee Riley and Ace Cannon, and Sam Cooke actually had a brother named Dave. We cut a record on him. We cut the first album that David Allen Coe ever did, and that was all right after the box tops. That was all in 1970. Then I went over to Universal Studios and recorded with Jerry Butler, and then we the same the rhythm section got hired to go to Atlanta. We all moved to Atlanta in 71 because they needed a rhythm section there and everything was falling apart in Memphis. Was that to do the Aretha Franklin record? Were you involved with that? Oh, no. I wish I was, but, but no, I wasn't involved. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, because they, they moved the guys from Muscle Shoals up to New York yeah. uh, to record with her. Well, they recorded so, uh, the first ones in Muscle Shoals. Right, which is why they had to go to New York, because uh, somebody uh, somebody pissed off Aretha Franklin's husband. Yep, it was one of the horn players. I know who it was. It was Ken Laxton. Yep, he just said the wrong thing. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, so I lived in Atlanta and did sessions in Atlanta and did some touring, but mostly sessions for... All of the 1970s, and Chips Moman heard a band I was playing in in Atlanta, and he wanted to sign the band. It was a band called Yikes, and um, one of the guys in the band had written some songs that Chips liked, and he thought it was a good band, and he he wanted to get us a record deal, and that the record deal never happened, and everybody in the band moved back to Atlanta, but me. And I stayed and did studio work with Chips. How was it then, working with Chips? Uh, it was great. I mean, he liked my guitar playing. He was a great guitar player himself. And he used me on some sessions, you know, and got me started in Nashville. And then he eventually, he had kind of a falling out with his rhythm section with Reggie Young and Gene Chrisman and all those guys. And um, Oh, really? For a while, but then they patched things up. And then after that, 
Of course, he used Reggie Reggie Young on guitar on everything, and then he used Johnny Christopher on acoustic guitar on rhythm. And I didn't know anybody else in Nashville but those Memphis guys. So I started taking road gigs, you know, just to make a living. So I did road gigs and session work in Nashville. Well, you know, from from eighty one till now. It's been, you know, 40 years. When people talk to you, is that mainly what they want to talk about, is the box stops? Not the, not the 40 years in the studio and on the road, but the, the two years with the box stops. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, some people want to talk about the other stuff, but most of the people want to talk about the box stops. Yeah, well, I thought it was really interesting because, of course, you know, the reason I wanted to interview you was because of the box tops. When I did the research and saw all those people that that you had recorded with or gone out on the road with, uh, man, I was I was shocked at at uh, how many and and the quality of the people that uh, you worked with because you worked with. Uh, with a, a, a lot of really, really talented people. Yeah, I counted them. I can't even remember all of them, but I counted up something like 115 <laughs> major label artists that I've worked for. Wow. Are the box types together now? Yeah, we got back together. Well, you know, we actually got back together in 90 the end of 96 and we recorded a record um, with the original box tops um, but Alex didn't trust any of the American record labels and so he wanted to do a record deal with this little label in France and so we did a record called the box tops tear off and, uh-huh. and it never got released in the United States at all it was on this French label and it was a really small label, and we never, you know, the guy paid us an initial fee to record it, and that's the last we heard from him. I mean, I don't know if it sold one copy or, or a million copies in, in Europe because it never got released in the States, and we never saw a royalty statement. Oh, wow. He didn't want to pay royalties, I bet you. Oh, no, he, he was a big crook. Everybody in Europe knew he was a crook. But anyway, so we we got back together and started playing in 97, and we toured until Alex died in 2010. And then six years later, we got back together without Alex and started touring again. You know, we did that for four years, and then COVID hit in the middle of March, and then we quit. I mean, we, we, we still have gigs booked, but... We can't do them. They all got uh, put back for a year at least. Would you want to do something with that record? Well, I want to do something with it, but Bill doesn't want to do something with it. You know, Bill and I are the only original members, and um, he said it would be illegal. It would be not illegal. It would be a legal hassle to do it because... Danny's ex-wife and um, Alex's ex-wife, right. you know, are probably getting, you know, their estate because they died. So it would be a legal, it would be a legal issue, and we'd have to figure out how to divide up the money. Wouldn't, and 
We'd have legal yeah. fees. Yeah, it probably wouldn't be worth it. I think it would be, but he doesn't, so we don't agree on that. So you guys can get back out on the road, because I, I would uh, would really like to see you play. Well, yeah, we would love to get back out to playing. I mean, we really, we really miss it a lot. Martin Mull, who's best remembered for his role of Leon Karp on Roseanne, did comedy albums back in the 70s. In fact, we played him on FM 100. When I interviewed John Fry, he reminded me that Martin Mull was the MC when FM 100 did a Leonard Skinner live broadcast from Ardent. That's what I want. I just want to get back to normal. You know, and and you know, I don't want a new a new normal. I want to go back to the old normal, but uh, it it's going to be a while before anybody can do that. Are y'all doing uh, anything remotely? Yeah, we've done. You know, you can't play remotely unless. See, we don't live in the same city. We all live in different places, so we can't play together online. We'd have to all go to the same place. And, uh, right. I was thinking about a Zoom or something like that. Yeah, we've done a couple of those already. We've done like a, they call it a, web, a webcast, a webinar kind of thing. Yeah, we've done a couple of those. Now, are they, are they recorded? Are, are they on Facebook somewhere? No, they're not on Facebook, but they, I'm pretty sure we, they recorded them. I, I don't know who's got them. I'd have to find out. If I can get the links, I'll put the links out there so people can go and see you. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. did have one gig right in the middle of the summer. We went up to uh, Deadwood, South Dakota and played up there in August. Oh, really? I think I read something about that. Yeah, we played a week after that big Sturgis motorcycle rally where everybody got COVID. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you didn't, right? No, we didn't. We got there safely and got back home without getting sick, so it was good. Were masks being worn? Not in the audience. Wow. Not in the crowd there weren't. The stage, the stage crew was wearing masks, but the, the audience was not. Well, it was outdoors, so, you know, it wasn't that bad, but still nobody... Nobody was uh, wearing a mask or doing any social distancing or anything. And I, I know a lot of people, you know, they had a big spike in in the virus right after the motorcycle rally. But I didn't hear about any spike after, you know, after the Deadwood gig. Well, that's good. I mean, there may have been, but I didn't hear about I'm it. I'm glad. Glad to hear that. When you get back to touring, are you planning on doing any more recordings as the box tops? Well, I would like to, but we got to get some money coming in because recording is expensive. Studio time is expensive, so we we can't be putting right. any money till we get some coming in. Are you still living in Nashville? Yeah. So you you've got connections there with some of the recording studios? A little bit, but not, you know, I'm I'm not one of the main Nashville guys. You know, they got guys here that have been doing all the big stuff for a long time. And, you know, I'm not part of that crowd. So uh, I, I do, you know, I still do some sessions here and there. But And then I've played with four different bands around here, but we, nobody is working very much. It's hard for anyone to work in any profession these days. Yeah. 
I sure will be glad when we get back to real life. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, so, so now, where all were you scheduled to to play? Was it like in the states? Yeah, everything was in the states. We had a cruise. We had a cruise scheduled for the spring of 2021, and they put it off another year. <laughs> we had dates in the states, all over the states, really. Um, you know, several dates for the the spring of well. You know, they were supposed to be for the summer and fall this year, and all those dates got moved to the spring of next year. Uh-huh. And one of them, one or two of them, actually got moved all the way to 2022. Wow. We have no idea when you're going to get back out and start playing again. No. Nope. Because uh, those, uh, those dates could be pushed back even further. Yeah, they could be. We need to do another Woodstock when we can get out in the public again. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I really wish you luck on uh, on the album thing, and uh, I'm sure you've got better contacts than I do. But if if I can do anything to help with that, just let me know. Well, if you know anybody that I teach guitar lessons online, that's one of my only sources of income now. So. Um, if you know anybody that wants to take guitar lessons, I do that. I teach online. Oh, wow. I bet you there's a lot of people that would like to say, Gary Talley taught me how to play guitar. Well, it would be good if there were, but I sure don't know how to get a hold of them. Okay, so when I do this podcast, I can put your contact information for guitar lessons. Yeah, just my website is GaryTalley.com. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's the way I did mine. It's uh, just the name dot com. Uh-huh. I'll make sure that I put that out there, so that you know you you can pick up some more students. Do they need to be in Nashville? No, they can be anywhere. Okay, so you can do that online. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. I'll I'll take care of that. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for your time, Gary. And I'm sorry it took me so long. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, there's one more thing I want to talk to you about. Okay. Uh, one one of the times when we were talking, uh, we couldn't do the interview because you were on the Happy Together tour. Oh yeah. Tell me about that. Man, you were touring with some really good people. Oh, yeah, that was the most fun I've ever had, I think. There was a... Really? Oh, the Turtles and the Association and the Calcils and Ron Dante from the Archies and uh, Chuck Negron from Three Dog Night. Yeah, it was just so much fun. We did 48 cities, and uh, we played the Ryman in Nashville on my birthday, on my 70th birthday. Oh, wow. Wow. That is great. Yeah, it was a great year. Yeah, and and to me, you know, it was like uh, I was in high school when Three Dog Night were out. uh, And Chuck, to me, um, the songs that he sang lead on were my favorite songs. He has such a great voice. Yeah, yeah, he can still sing really good. Yeah, and how were the Turtles? Oh, they were great. Um, You know, they, they 
are the ones that started the tour. You know, they're the actually um, Howard Kalen. That 2017 was his last tour. He retired after that. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And Mark Holman is still doing it. Yeah. Well, I re- I remember when they were Flo and Eddie, and they were recording and touring with Frank Zappa. Uh huh. That would just to me that would have just been so strange uh, to be. Uh, at a Frank Zappa concert, and and here I, I, I'm sure they didn't do their turtle songs, but you know, and but they were so recognizable, you know, you would know who they were. So that that would have been really strange, I think. Yeah, I, I wish I, I would like to have seen that. I never did see, see them do that. But I would like to have done that. Yeah, and Ron Dante of the the Archies. He uh, recorded and and wrote, I believe, with Barry Manilow for a while. Yeah, he produced Barry Manilow. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, he uh, yeah he produced a lot of those big Barry Mary, Barry Manilow records. I saw uh, Barry Manilow at uh, Lafayette's Music Room back in when he first came out with his first album. No kidding. So uh, and that was. Yeah, yeah, and that was strange. He did a, a medley of his greatest hits, which of course were all of his uh, jingles. Yeah, so that was it, that was pretty cool. But uh, you know, he was known at the time as uh, Bette Midler's uh, band director. Uh-huh. So uh, you know, I feel strange uh, being a disc jockey when FM one hundred was playing albums, oh, wow. and 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 then go to Lafayette's. Uh, to see uh, Barry Manilow, but I made up for it the next week because uh, Kiss was playing. <laughs> yes, I, I went to see them, but that would have been a lot of fun on that tour with all those people. Yeah, that was a great tour. Everybody was so nice. I mean, everybody on the tour was just really great. And uh, it was just a first-class tour. All the venues we played were great, and almost all more sellouts. And, the, you know, the hotels and the catering and everything was just first-class. Wow, that is so good, man. That is so good. And you so deserve that, you know? I mean, uh, they don't make music anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. it. <laughs> I love I love the music from the '60s and the '70s, and and uh, you know maybe a few '80s stuff, but but that was to me is where the really good memories are and where the real really good music is. Yeah, yeah, me I think so too. All right, well, thank you, Gary, man. I appreciate it so much, and uh, I appreciate your time because uh, I know you're busy. Uh, oh, not, <laughs> maybe not now. Now I'm not. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, if there's if there's anything at all that I can do for you, you let me know. Okay. Okay. I appreciate it. I I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to me. I really do. Well, it was a pleasure for me. Make sure you're with us next time for Memphis Music Interview. Memphis Music History Told from the Inside. I'm Mitch McCracken, and I hope to see you then. Memphis Music Interview is a Get Crackin' production.